My name is Denise. I'm a compulsive reader and the moderator for this session. Hi, Denise. Please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. Will everyone who cares please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant us serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. All right. The title of this panel is Relationship with Yourself, Step 4 and 5. The format for this session is a reading from our literature, two speakers, and the questions from the Ask It Basket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around a basket with pencil and with pen, paper and pencils for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are directing your questions to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving, even if you have already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they did not have when the basket first passed by. I can read a selection from page 58 of the 12 and 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. Another great dividend we may expect from confiding our defects in another human being is humility, a word often misunderstood. To those who have made progress in OA, it amounts to a clear recognition of what and who we could be. Our first practical move toward humility must consist of recognizing our deficiencies. No defect can be corrected unless we clearly see what it is. But we shall have to do more than see. Though now recognized, our defects were still there. Some Thing had to be done about them, and we soon found that we could not wish or will them away by ourselves. More, realis more realism and therefore more honesty about ourselves are the great gains we make under, influence of, under the influence of Step 5. Our first speaker is Jody from Sacramento who will speak for 12 minutes. I'm Jody. I'm a compulsive overeater. Breaking the place apart. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and then about uh, how the fourth and fifth steps have changed my life. Uh, I, I went to my first OA meeting when I was 19 until I not anywhere near 19. Um, I have been in and out of OA and had long periods of abstinence and broke the abstinence. Um, I think I used OA for a very long time as a diet club 
I would come, work a few steps, lose my weight, then go out and think I could have a life and not uh, need the steps. And um, about uh, 10 years ago, I came in for good. <laughs> um, I, uh, December 26th, um, I celebrated uh, 10 years of uh, abstinence. And I'm, thank you. I'm maintaining about a 70 to 75 pound weight loss for my top weight. Um, at the worst of my eating, I was pretty much a skid row eater um, and a sugar addict, um, eating around the clock on the weekends, you know, where you uh, basically don't bathe and sit in front of the TV with all your goodies in front of you and eat, pass out, eat, pass out, only go out to get, get more food. And, um, you know, did, did everything that you could possibly do with food. Eat burnt food, eat frozen food, eat food out of garbage, whatever, uh, you know, whatever I needed to do, I did. Stealing food. Um, and food was more important than anything. At, at the end, uh, you know, my eating uh, was not as bad as it had been. Uh, but uh, when I came in, uh, my sponsor said, my sponsor this past time, my sponsor said, um, did you drive while eating? I said, yes. Was your kid in the car while you were driving eating? And I said, yes. And, and she said, that's a life and death uh, situation. Because when I'm eating, I'm not paying attention to the road. I'm paying attention to whatever's in the bag next to me. And, uh, or I'm thinking about where am I going to go to get whatever it is that I need. Uh, so, so compulsive overeating is a life and death um, uh, disease for me. Um, right after I uh, got in, I, I just want to tell one little story and then I, I'll get to the fourth step. Um, my, uh, my husband uh, at the time uh, had a stroke and uh, ended up with uh, severe mental illness. And uh, you know what, I don't think I could have survived that if I had not been abstaining because it was so hard and awful. And the fact that I was able to stay here, work the steps, and keep abstaining is a miracle of this program. And so the reason I said that is we can do anything as long as we stay, go to meetings, work with a sponsor, work the steps, and trust a power greater than ourselves. Okay, so for me, the fourth and fifth step are the miracle steps of the program. Um, as a compulsive overeater, I think the the, um, uh, the way that I use the steps the most is um, to handle shame and fear, because those to me were the biggest problems that I had. Um, in order to stay in a thin, thinner body, I have to handle all the things that make me crazy, because otherwise, as soon as I get thin, I will want to eat because I look in the mirror and I see a thin body and I think that, that can't be me. That's not me. If I'm working the steps and shedding all the garbage, then when I look in the mirror, it looks like me. It is me. And I feel comfortable in the body that I'm in. Um, so I use the format in the big book uh, for the resentments. 
um, I think it's on page 63, I'm not sure. Um, and in the book it says, I'm resentful at, uh, affects my and the cause of my part. And um, I add, my sponsor had me add two more columns, which were, um, um, well, actually one more column. I, I'm resentful at, sorry, I'm a little nervous. I'm resentful at, uh, the second column is why am I angry or why am I ashamed, why am I afraid? Third column is uh, affects my, fourth column is uh, my part, where was I selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, afraid? And the last column is living a spiritual life, how could I do better, what's a spiritual solution? And um, if I can be really thorough in either why I'm angry or why I feel ashamed and write all the dirty details down and get to my part, where was I um, self-pitying or um, judged somebody else or had unreasonable expectations, my part, and when I can empty out all the garbage of where I'm angry or where I'm ashamed and my part, then God can come in and reveal some solutions for me. And um, when I sit down for even half an hour to do writing on these columns, um, the, the nice thing about writing in columns is you can't get into the story of things and get um, you know, out of control into judging and doing all kinds of craziness. You're, you're restricted by the columns and you have to stay on task and you have to uh, come up with what your uh, involvement is. And if I can take responsibility for my part, then I can see how God can come in and help me to change. Um, okay, I think that's all that I can say. Oh, and, okay, so here's the other thing. If I just keep it to myself and I don't share it with somebody else, there's always a chance that I'm going to be lying to myself because I am not a good judge of my own character. I am either way, way too hard on myself or I have not gotten to the essence of my part or, or a, a God solution. And so if I read it to my sponsor and it's the same junk over and over again and sometimes I think, oh my God, she's heard this all over, over many, many times. But every time I read it, I get some relief and I get to move on from wherever it is because sometimes I have to write about the same stuff over and over again to get get it cleared so that I don't keep carrying and I don't um, stay who I was. I can move on and be the magnificent being that God needs for me to be. Um, anyway, so that's, that's it. I don't know how many minutes I had, but that's all I have to say. Thanks. Our second speaker is Helen T. From Hi, my name is Helen. I'm a compulsive overeater. I've been in I've been in Overeaters Anonymous since 1976. So when I came into OA, we didn't have the little OA book. We only had the AA book. And a lot of our speakers were from AA, so all we had were the steps, and all we had was one way to work the steps. 
and it was the way that was outlined in the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that's the way that I did it. So um, what brought me into Overeaters Anonymous is that I had just gained back 100 pounds I had just lost in Weight Watchers, and um, I was only 21 years old at the time. So I hadn't created a lot of wreckage of the past to put into my inventory. I hadn't even had sex yet. So... I mean, I lived at home with my mother and my younger brother. I worked the night shift of a small community hospital, so there wasn't really much to say. Um, but I've created a lot of wreckage since then and had a lot of sex since then. So. Okay? So a uh, lot of stuff has happened. I've had a lot of jobs, a lot of employers to be mad at. Uh, uh, three husbands, two divorces. So, you know, I got my stuff in and uh, got my opportunity to write. And um, I think the fourth step is really the springboard um, to understanding ourselves. Uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, says something to this effect. Men and women eat essentially because they like the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once after taking a few extra bites. And I know that sense of ease and comfort. That's what I'm after, comfort. That's what I want. I want to be comfortable. And um, what the steps, particularly the fourth and, steps, fourth and fifth steps do, is help us to get comfortable without seeking excess food. And the reason we do this is the end of this whole process Ourselves and our sponsor, the information we're supposed to glean from this is this list of character defects. That's how you get the list, by doing the fourth and fifth step. Without the fourth and fifth step, there would be no list. And so I wouldn't really know what to work on. So I have a whole list of character defects, and I'll, you know, just share a few of them. Um, and in people that I've worked with uh, throughout the years, everybody seems to have a theme. <laughs> and here is my theme. Uh, one of my themes, I have many, but one of my favorite themes is um, I find people who are very poorly equipped to give me the things that I want. I nag, scold, and complain until I get those things, and I walk away hurt and disappointed because I can't. That's one of my themes. And um, I only know that's a theme because I've written, when I say hundreds, I, I really mean it, ten steps on people who couldn't give me what I want. And uh, my mother was one of those people. And I remember after writing a particularly difficult fourth step, I was in tears to my sponsor. And I was, you know, I'm a very dramatic person. Some of you know that. And saying, is it too much to ask that a mother should do whatever it was? And she said, oh, no, Helen, it's not too much to ask. You deserve those things. It's just too much to ask from your mother. And that's the whole crux of it, isn't it? And, uh, you know, I'm going to just uh, tell you a little uh, story. When uh, a lot of us came in years ago, there was this old man named Webster, and he used to tell these little crazy anecdotes, which I thought had nothing to do with eating, and a lot of little riddles and jokes. And throughout the years as I've aged, I'm understanding what a lot of them meant. But one of them went something like this. Do you know the difference between a neurotic and a psychotic? And everybody would just be like scratching their head and he'd say, 
The psychotic thinks two plus two is five. The neurotic knows two plus two is four, but he can't stand it. <laughs> and that's me. I know what is, and I don't like it because it shouldn't be that way. And one of my best talents is I'm a fault finder. And I find faults in myself and in a lot of other people. And I can't stand that they exist. And I can't accept them. And I know the way things should be. And I'm going to set about, if it kills me, and sometimes it has, to uh, get things the way that they should be in this right and proper and just world. But all that makes me really hungry. So that's my dilemma. That's my dilemma, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a movie called An Inconvenient Truth that's about global warming, but one of the lines in it was about me and written about me. Um, Al Gore says, when faced with an inconvenient truth, we move very quickly from denial to despair. And that is my story. I know it is the case. I know when I'm in a bad marriage, have a bad job, acting badly. But I can't stand the inconvenient truth. Why is it inconvenient? It calls for action. I'm basically lazy. This is a program of action. It says that in many different pages. I can't stand that either. Um, you know, um, I can't stand that the last column of that fourth step says, where was I at fault? What kind of way is that to end something? You know, and um, this isn't therapy. You know, um, therapy, your therapist has to be politically correct and make you feel good when you walk out. And you've paid a lot of money to have that happen. Your sponsor, if she's good, doesn't have to have that happen. <laughs> She's just, I, I, this is uh, years ago, I remember one, I, I wrote this beautiful 10-step, and I, you know, hit all the notes, where have I been selfish, self-seeking, fearful, or dishonest, and she said, you know, all I heard was me, 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 I, I, I. Really? That doesn't make me feel very good. You know, and I'm going to tell uh, one last story uh, that kind of fits in this theme. And most of you know the story. I'm going to call it the tuxedo story. Uh, um, when I got married the second time, it was the la going to be the last wedding, of course. And I was quite up there in years. I was 35 when that happened. My dad died when I was three. I had nobody to walk me down the aisle. So I assumed that my younger brother, who was 28 at the time, would want to be that person. And this is what he said. Well, I will if you rent the tuxedo. And I said, what sort of 28-year-old man cannot rent a tuxedo? I'm not going to enable him. And so I wrote this whole 10th step on this. And my sponsor said, you know, if I was you, I'd rent him the tuxedo. I said, what sort of an idiot? And obviously, she knows nothing about Al-Anon principles. He should be able to rent that tuxedo himself. He has money for pot. <laughs> right? I'm sure you all agree with me. And so this was such a justifiable resentment that I didn't speak to him for two years. Okay. After two years, he calls me and says, I'm getting married. Will you come to the wedding? And by this point in time, two years, I've kind of gotten over the whole thing, you know, moved on. Which, moving on is really hard for me to do. That's why I need this program. 
And um, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the wedding. I was very happy to be there, a lovely wedding. And as I'm participating in the wedding, not in the wedding, but in the audience, I look up and I think, my God, he is not wearing a tuxedo at his own wedding. And then it occurred to me two years later what the defect of character was. I expect you to do for me what you are unable to do, even for yourself. Now, if that doesn't epitomize selfish and self-seeking behavior, I don't know what does. I don't know what does. And that is the hallmark of who I am. I expect you to do for me what you can't do for yourself, because I don't see you as flawed. I see you as evil. <laughs> I don't see you as sick, and the big book says you wouldn't treat sick, sick people that way, would you? I just see you as a horrible, evil person, you know, and it is a disease of perception. And through people being kind to me and giving me generously through the years and being in repeated states of grace where I haven't been caught doing bad things and I, you know, um, people have been forgiving and kind and tolerant of my defects of character that I realize now I can do that for others. And I, uh, you know, have a relate. My mom died several years back and, uh, you know, the, now that she's dead, I can tell you this. The things that she did well, she really did well. And one of my biggest defects of character, I mean, one of my biggest complaints about my mom um, was that she didn't provide what I call a soft place to land. And I spent the whole, my whole life looking for that soft place to land. But because I never got it, because I never got it, I am a self-supporting woman. I've always supported myself. I've always had a great job. I've traveled. I've been independent. And I don't look to people to solve my problems. And, you know, that's a, that's a great strength. She didn't uh, put up with a lot of crying and whining. And, um, you know, that's made it very difficult for me to parent. And for many years I didn't parent because I was sure that I wouldn't do a very good job. And the truth be known, in the early years I didn't because I can't stand crying. <laughs> and I used to say, God, why of all people would you give me a colicky baby that cried around the clock, you know? Um, but now I know that, um, you know, my mom had a very difficult life. She didn't have a career. She had a job. She barely scraped by. Um, she married a man after my dad that was impaired and infantile in a lot of ways. Um, she, he was a barber, and from what I hear, not a very good one. But she wanted him to have the income of an attorney, and she constantly berated him. There wasn't daycare in those days. There wasn't therapy, and there wasn't medication, all of which I have used at some point in my life, <laughs> you know. And I, as I was driving my little screaming three-year-old to daycare like this, I thought, wow, my mom didn't have this. No wonder I got hit. You know, no wonder. You know, it was tough. Being, thank you, being, being a parent is very difficult. And my mom did that alone. My dad died when I was three. And I can't imagine the horrors of having a three-year-old and no husband and no therapy and no money and no parents, both her parents were gone, no brothers, no sisters. And, you know, um, 
she was a raving lunatic all the time. But after having a child, you know, I could see why. And I had all the accoutrements of a success. I had daycare. I had therapy. I had medication. I had a husband. You know, I had all those things. And I was still whining. And, and I was mature. I was a 40-year-old woman. And I was still whining. And that gave me a little bit more empathy, um, you know, for my mother and what she went through. And today I think I'm a lot more of an empathetic person. And today when I either get fearful, um, when I have money problems, sex problems, I go to that 10th step and work it out. Um, how does that affect my security, my self-esteem, my personal relationships, and what is my ambition? And a lot of my ambition is, I want the biggest, the best, the most, and I want it now. I'm full of ambition, a lot of misguided ambition. And um, today I'm grateful for what, I'm ha for what I have. I'm grateful for the, these rooms, the friends that I've made in these rooms, and the strides that I've made, um, mainly by working the fourth and fifth step. And I uh, want to thank you and thank God for allowing me all the sponsors through the years that were there to hear the fifth step. I mean, it, it took an ear to hear those, and there's been hundreds. It's always been, you know, a different ear, but um, without those people and their uh, kind guidance, I wouldn't be where I'm at now, so thank you. Our third speaker is Van D. from Los Angeles. Hi, everybody. I'm Zan. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Zan. Where were all the cheers that Helen got? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the speaker last night, he, he got up and he said his name. He said, hello, family. And uh, that really moved me. And I'm just grateful to be here today. Glad to see new friends and old friends. And um, uh, great, uh, I want to thank Barbara for asking me to speak. Um, so I, I just was somehow struck about how this is a, you know, a long, it's a process. And, and I, too, came into the program in 1976 um, and completely powerless uh, over food, out of control, eight candy bars, half a pizza, pint of ice cream, um, swearing off, completely sure in every cell that that would have been my last binge. I ate all my favorite foods, you know, and, and just the horrible self-loathing. And the next morning, that feeling that um, stiff joints, you know, the digestive problems, the, the guilt, the remorse, and then four days later, I'd be back at it again, you know, and cycle after cycle like that. Um, Dr. Atkins, the first time he came out, I love claiming a little seniority on that. You know, I have, I used to have, Jean, okay, I'm supposed to not name names, I guess, but Jean Needich. <laughs> um, you know, I had one of those early Weight Watchers cookbooks. Do you remember the Danish pastry? Okay. I did not plan to say this, but it was a piece of toast and ricotta cheese with cinnamon and, and cyclamate. Do you remember cyclamate, you guys? Right? <laughs> you have to be a certain age. And, <laughs> and then I went on to, um, well, pre-digested protein, that was like late 70s, early 60s, and it was just this bottle of, I guess, 
purified protein, and it was a true fast. You did not eat. Um, and you took t two tablespoons four times a day or something like that. And I was a serious ballet student at the time, and my ballet teacher said, if you lose 20 pounds, I'll get you into a company in Pittsburgh in like a month. So I went on this fast. And so I um, didn't eat for two and a half weeks, which, by the way, is the longest that I have ever gone in my lifetime without a binge other than abstinence. Like there's some people in program who are yo-yos, they go up and down. I just kept going yo-yo, yo-yo, because <laughs> I could never successfully diet. But So I went on this diet, and then I took a small side trip in New York City um, before I landed in Pittsburgh and ate so much that I gained the weight back. I did the audition, and the lady said, I'm sorry, but we're not running a spa for fat dancers. You know, and I just realized I'm going to fly what's today, Saturday, tomorrow morning to New York, and I just want to cry because I'm going to fly to New York tomorrow with 30 years of abstinence. And, <laughs> because of God and this program and my fellows and my imperfections, I just want to say that I made amends to someone before this meeting, and I have 30 years of abstinence, you know, and I held a, you know, a grudge against this person. I didn't really have a grudge. It's just I did not such a nice thing. And, I mean, you know, that's why I'm so struck by um, how this is that happy road of, you know, it goes on. <laughs> it's a process. Um, you know, we don't, we don't get well overnight. Um, so, anyway, where was I going with all that except to say I, I just am very, very grateful and the desire to overeat has been lifted from me. So where does step four and five come in here? Um, I love the sort of mini theme of the, this panel, and that is relationship with myself. Because um, it, the line in the big book that says something like, when we are disturbed, you know, we have to kind of stop in our tracks and say, okay, w what's bothering me? What's going on inside of me? And, and I love, hate the whole deal of, my side of the street. You know, why do they make us? Can't I just blame you? Don't you realize <laughs> how superior I am? You know, <laughs> and and so this last week, last couple months actually, I've been going through um, just being angry at someone I work with, and we're partners in this thing, and um, this week it kind of came to a head, and I've been doing a lot of writing on it. Thank you, God, and. Um, that I have the willingness to write and to look at my side and a lot of reading it to my sponsors. So I guess you could call that really step 10, but it's, it's, I've been following the fourth and fifth step formats and, you know, restraint of tongue and pen. Huh, restraint of email, right? Because I did, and I wrote an email to this person saying, here's what I've done and, you know, here's what you haven't done. And I sent it to my sponsor. She, she basically said, it's tone, Zan, you know, it's your tone. And um, so I rewrote that email. Um, but, but what the latest, and I like to talk about current day stuff because if I'm not, then I'm just full of it. It's the way I look at it. I can, t I can t talk about the past, and I can tell you that one of my first fourth steps in abstinence, oh, actually, this fourth step in abstinence, and I love to share this. My sponsor just said, keep it short. She was a real kind of a toughie, and she said, you know, and it was four pages long. She said, just write about your guilt, your fears, and your uh, resentments. And she said, I don't want a book, you know, and so it was like four pages um, back and 
back and front. And, and I love to share that because my mind will always tell me I have to do things a certain way. And for sure I've used this program to beat myself, that I'm not doing it right. I'm not spiritual enough and all of that stuff. But if I look at the facts, and the facts are, so I wrote this short app, this short four-step, and I'm still abstinent 30 years later. And abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception, except my new boyfriend. Just kidding. <laughs> and I have it. It's so new, like... God forbid he should hear this because I don't even use that term. But, but that's it. I just, I'm going to diverge a little here because, um, because I got divorced a year ago. And I'm just here to say that in 30 years of abstinence, it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I've gone through the suicide of my brother. I've gone through that husband's cancer. You know, um, but it's, it's always the things that, anyway, and it, 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 it was horrible. And I just want to say that and this is part of this whole thing I've been thinking of this morning of just keep just keep trudging the road and riding the next four step, no matter how mediocre it is. Because in this last year with the divorce, I mean, I showed up so ugly and so ungraceful. And there were times I hardly even showed up, but I just kept coming back, you know. And I feel joy today. And I, and I feel like sometimes we need to go through that, like the valley of death, and really to come out with a whole new awareness and more joyful than ever before. That's kind of how I feel today. And um, so I forget where I was going. Oh, yeah, just the whole showing up thing. Um, I'm just so grateful to this program that it says that I can write a crappy fourth step. And then, you know, and there's lots of times actually where I'll do a quick tenth step and not even read it to anyone. But it helps me. You know, it helps me to just see it there in black and white take a deep breath and see what my part is and save me from being angry. You know, this week I had to pull out, you know, the big book and, and, and look again because I was so angry at this colleague. You know, that maybe someone is may, maybe someone is sick. And, and the real inconvenient truth in this particular situation is that I might have to leave this situation, this partnership with this colleague. And see, I'd much rather, there's two things I'd rather do. I, I do like to cut and run, by the way, <laughs> not look at myself, you know. Um, so I like that, but to actually not cut and run but deal with the situation. But on the other hand, I may actually have to sever this working relationship. And um, in a funny way, I use the fifth step. In, in coming to that realization. And I actually called a normie, someone who's not in the program at all. And um, I just listed all the reasons why I was pissed at this person. And he cut right to the chase and he said, you know, why are you working with this person? And part of my disease is to overdo the looking my side of the street, you know, so much so that I'm always wrong. And you know what? That's not humility. I've really had to learn here you know, to accept God's gifts. And that a positive fourth step has been huge for me. I, I have a practice of writing my assets every morning. And that's there, I mean, to me, and, and I, re, you know, it was fascinating to reread this part about why shouldn't we be angry at people? Why? That no one in this room knows. Because it prevents us from being of greatest service to God. You know, that was really, really neat to be reminded of that. So my friend cut to the chase and he said, um, you know, why are you still working with this person? And he, he's in business too. And, and then he said, Dan, he says, you know, maybe this is out of line, but if you had the courage to leave a marriage that wasn't working, maybe you can leave this professional situation. And, and it was just really neat, you know. And so I'm just very grateful that this program has taught me 
to look at myself, to seek true humility, to share it with another person, even if that person is outside, and to, to um, just keep working, it's no, no, just keep showing up no matter how ungracefully. And I'm um, extremely grateful for, for abstinence. Thank you. The Ask It Basket. Would someone please bring it to the front? This is addressed to anyone on the panel. Do you do a daily 10th step? If so, how do you do it and stay away from perfection in, in the form? I imperfectly do a daily 10th uh, step, which means that some days I do it and some days I don't. But the format that I use is uh, garbage writing. And I have, I've been doing this probably for well, longer than ten, 10 years. Um, because I, my daughter is uh, going to be 15, and uh, the only uh, page that I've ever rewritten, reread, is the day that she was born. And the reason that I don't read it is it's garbage. I put all of my thoughts on paper so that they get out of my head and get onto the paper. And I always start it with, dear God, please help me. Blah, 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 blah. And then, okay, God, what am I supposed to do? And when I empty out the garbage again, it opens up the space for God to come in and give me some positive ideas and usually when I've put aside my fears and usually when I'm doing this I, I, I can see uh, my part in certain situations if I have resentments that may need uh, additional writing or fears that may need additional writing or I may not need to talk to my sponsor about something but I also it, it puts away the craziness that I wake up with in the morning and allows me to take a look at what I need for the day. And even when, uh, and if I do it regularly, even when I think, oh, this didn't help me a bit, when I put it aside, I go out do, to do my day, I'm taking God with me. How does one proceed when stuck on the fourth step? Anybody from the panel? Um, I'll just share from my experience that I was lucky to have that sponsor who said, just keep it short. You know, just keep it simple. I used to tell myself, just do a bad job. When I was going through college, I would say, write a shitty paper because I was just, you know, I thought I had to win a Pulitzer Prize. So, and in 30 years, you know, I've done so many four steps. And to speak out of school, I've done them in Al-Anon and in other 12-step programs. You know, so it'll go on. You'll have another chance. Just do a crappy one. 
I would say just do it on somebody that is in your current life. Uh, I think a lot of times we get stuck because we don't want to go back to the wreckage of the past and all the things that are happened. But I think uh, Zan's example of a coworker is great. If you have a coworker, a husband, wife, somebody that's doing something now, the big book really just sticks on resentments, fears, and sex. So it's not that hard. It's only really three things that it's asking you to look at. And most of us are more filled with resentment than we are the other two. How do you deal with complacency in your program? It's not addressed to anybody, so anybody can answer. Find more interesting meetings. <laughs> But that's honest. I, sometimes I get bored, and uh, I need I, I need to you know keep my connection. But frankly, I, I sometimes tell people be picky about your meetings. You know, stay excited. Um, and of course, of course, the great thing is I the food will get me. The food will pop me right out of complacency. Fortunately, I haven't had to deal with that in you know I'd say 29 years. But um, Pain is always a good motivator, too. Last year, I went to one workshop, one retreat, and one convention. And that's just three things in a year. And once you write the check, you've got to go. So sometimes if you just say it out loud, I'm going to the such and such, send in the money. And once you write the check, you're going to be there. So... I would say um, that you have to, uh, we, we're not a glum lot. We have to ha ha find uh, joy in our life. And uh, if you're not, if you're going to meetings where it's kind of deadly and they're depressed, then you need to find a meeting that has joy. And there are, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a, um, found a, a home group in my city that's a 12 and 12. It's an early morning, Saturday morning meeting, but it's great. And there's a lot of recovery in that meeting. And it's a, a meeting that concentrates on the steps and the traditions. And usually if you have a meeting that is like a big book study or something, it starts the meeting with a good attitude. And that usually changes my attitude. I just realized that whoever wrote that is here at this convention and wrote a question, it's not an issue. <laughs> For Helen, did you ever lose faith in your higher power and how did you get it back? Yes. I have lost faith, and probably um, the divorce was really, really difficult for me. Um, I had a five-year-old child. I was old. You know, by most people's standard, most people with a five-year-old child are 25. I'm 45. You know, that's not easy. Um, I gave up the house. I had a crappy little apartment, and this went on for two years, and the child hated me and wanted to be with her dad. So if there was ever a time that I felt despair, it was during those two years. And uh, two things helped me, suiting up and showing up to work, 
pretending like I was having a good time at that job and suiting up and showing up and going to Overeaters Anonymous meetings. And I didn't do it very gracefully either. And uh, the whole time internally, I was stomping my feet saying this isn't fair. But I put on the show. I uh, never let anybody else know that and I never said those words out loud. But believe me, I thought them. Now, for Helen, now in your life, would you rent the tuxedo for your brother? <laughs> uh, not only would I, I have. <laughs> yeah, uh, Not a tuxedo, but uh, very similar things. We have a very good relationship now. Um, I accept him exactly the way that he is, and because of that, he's got two great kids that are in my life, and um, I just, you know, delight in seeing who he is. Uh, none of those little quirks and eccentricities bother me anymore, which is really weird because he hasn't really changed all that much, but he is my only living relative. My dad died when I was three. My mom is gone. There's just two kids. We have no aunts, uncles, or cousins. There are just the two of us from my original family. So, um, yeah, I would do it now. Thanks. This is not addressed to anyone, so anyone on the panel. How do you invite God into your four-step work? Uh, okay, so I, just like I begin my uh, fourth, uh, tw tenth step, I always say before I start writing, please God help me. And, uh, you know, uh, the big book says, that we sit at the turning point, we ask God's protection and care with complete abandon. That's the beginning of taking the steps. That's the step before the, the first step. So before each step, we actually have to ask God for care and to carry us through. And um, what you need to know is that God's not going to reveal anything to you that you can't handle or you can't handle with someone else. And you are not alone. And that's the big, big deal about this program. Thanks. How do you deal with the feelings that come up when you write your inventory? Anyone? Well, uh, in the first column, you get to get out all the rage, everything that they did, and that's usually the fun part, um, you know, how they offended you, and um, I you know, really do try to keep that one short, but then, um, you know, I just guess I, I, I cry, I get mad again, and then I have the opportunity in the fifth step to listen to a different perspective that's not, um, not mine. And um, I remember when I was young in this program, um, my job wanted me to do something, and I wrote this big, long inventory on it because I didn't think it was in my job description. Pages. And um, my sponsor said, Helen, wouldn't it just be easier to empty the trash can, you know? 
And that's what that's what you get with a with a sponsor. You know, they tell it how it is. They um, so um, you know, my sp- sponsor now calls it a form of indulgence to let all your feelings out, and you know, because that's not helpful. I did that for years and continue to do it for years after I was in the program, allegedly working the steps. That indulgence doesn't help me. The only thing that has ever helped me is figuring out where I'm at fault and praying to have God remove the defective character. That's the only thing that's helpful. How do you balance doing for yourself with being there for others? family, friends, partners, etc. You know, my family uh, puts a high priority on my recovery. Um, you know, my husband has taken me to meetings when I can't drive. You know, um, my daughter has come to meetings with me when she was little and she didn't want to. They accept this as this eating disorder as being a real part of who I am, just like I have blue eyes. You know, we don't have a lot of stuff in the house. You know, we just don't. If they want that stuff, they just get it out there. They're not restricted from having it. You know, I've got a 16-year-old, and she grew up, and, you know, we never had a cookie jar or ho-hos. A lot of those things she never saw until she was really much, much older. And so um, I take care of myself first. It just is what it is. I'm the one with the eating disorder. I'm a special one. And I go to three meetings a week no matter what. They can fend for themselves, you know, um, because I don't, I'm not going to be much of use to them or to my job or anything else if I'm in the food again because that's all I can concentrate. I, I loved what you said even about uh, even when driving. If there was food right next to me, that was my form of concentration. So to be able to focus on you, I need to get recentered in these rooms. It's time to close the session. Would you please help me? Thank the panelists. Please uh, join me for a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. <laughs> 